Hey guys, welcome back to the Misfits podcast. Uh, we are so excited for today's episode. Um, so hopefully you guys are doing well. Sit back, grab your snacks, chill out for a second. Um, joining us today, we have a special guest. His name is Matthias Roberts. Um, and again, this is just quickly off of your website. <laughs> He's a psychotherapist, <laughs> author of the book Beyond Shame, Creating a Healthy Sex Life on Your Own Terms. Um, and that was released 2020, I believe. Um, and host of Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. Super great podcast. One of my favorites, especially going through deconstruction. Um, he holds two master's degrees, one in theology and culture and one in counseling psychology from the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. He also serves on the board of Beloved Arise. Woo-woo! <laughs> great group. Mm-hmm. A nonprofit dedicated to fighting for the lives of queer youth of faith, which is super important to me. So welcome, Matthias. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to oh, be here. So excited to have you. Again, I already asked this earlier, but how are you feeling today about this conversation? Oh, I'm thrilled. I'm just, I'm just, I'm so excited. So yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, before we dive into the meat of the conversation, we usually ask our guests, guests this question. And uh, this is kind of like a surprise question, but this is just so the listeners get to know who you are, how you think, how you frame your language, mm. how you speak. <laughs> but the question mm. is... Do you consider yourself a misfit? If so, why? If not, totally cool. Why not? Ooh, that's a that is a deep question. Um, do I consider myself a misfit? You know, I I think it would depend on the context that I'm in. So I think there are definitely places mm. where yes, I feel like a misfit. Um, and I think some of those places would be like in a lot of churches like even my own church Mm -hmm. that I've been going to now for like two years it still feels super new to me but like walking into that Mm -hmm. space I still kind of feel like a misfit like it's a great church I love it but like (laughs) churches are hard (laughs) and and so like those kind of areas are are going back to like the places where I grew up um Mm. like and, and even like walking into like more straight dominant spaces, I, gotcha. I think I, yeah. I spend a lot of time in in queer spaces in my life, and I feel very, mm. uh, I like I love that. Like that has been very intentional. So walking back into like pretty straight spaces, I feel like a misfit. Mm. And then the other places I don't like in really queer spaces, I, I don't feel like a misfit. Like in mm. in, I think some of that comes from like privilege like there's this sense Mm. of like you know white gay man like I embody a lot of privilege and so I think that like whether that's a good or a bad thing I don't feel like a misfit so like there's a lot of complexity there um Mm -hmm. and there's definitely a both both and answer to that yeah great way to answer the question (laughs) we welcome you (laughs) yes so um to dive into the main uh, parts of this conversation um can you tell us a bit about uh, beloved arise uh, matthias yeah i'd love to yeah so so beloved arise is an organization that um i mean like you read in, in my little bio i'm on the board for uh and and it's an organization that was started to support and help queer youth of faith uh so so it's the first organization to specifically focus on queer youth of faith 
uh, and and we do a lot of work specifically with with kids in Christian contexts, um, but we also do a lot of interfaith work, and we're expanding the kind of interfaith work as well. And, and so, what that looks like right now, I mean, it's a, it's a new organization. We just mm-hmm. had our one year anniversary. Uh, and so we have like a Monday night youth group. We mm-hmm. create a lot of resources for queer youth of faith uh, and, and we're expanding our programming. And, and I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff in the pipeline, but, but it's this, I mean, it's this beautiful organization that I, that I really wish was around when I was mm-hmm. a kid. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's incredible. Um, yeah. So I was also going to say the same exact thing. I'm, I mean, I'm not going to give away my age (laughs) but um yeah no I I definitely wish we had something like this when when we were younger especially going through high school at a young age I I didn't have these resources or even just um a group to join on Monday nights that's just so wholesome and my heart like I'm super thankful for that I'm not saying I'm a youth I wish I was but (laughs) um that's not anymore not anymore not for a while now but um so just a quick question Matthias for for the youth that are listening to the podcast how do you how would you get them you know hopping on that youth uh Monday night group or even with the the Instagram that you guys have set up yeah so I mean there's a couple ways um I, I, so I don't technically handle any of that side of things, so I'm not 100% sure, but I think you can either do it from the Beloved Arise website, so belovedarise.org. Gotcha. Um, I also know, like, they check the Instagram, their Instagram messages mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. So you can just get, go to Beloved Arise, Arise's Insta, which is just at Beloved Arise, and shoot a message over, and someone from the team will get you into the onboarding process. So Beautiful. I think those are the, the best ways to do it, yeah. Beautiful. So another circle that you're involved in, obviously, this is your own podcast, which is Quirology, a podcast on belief in being super helpful, even with, with just my own journey. So I just want to say mm. thank you, a personal mm. grateful thank mm. you to you with the work that you do on that. And it's just, mm. oh, I'm so thankful. Um, mm. But you mentioned earlier this word embodiment. So um, for the listeners that are new to even your own journey and haven't really tuned into your personal podcast yet, how does how does your faith intertwine with your embodiment of it? And how does that play out for you even in your own life with your sexuality and all of the spheres that you're involved in? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, in, embodiment is one of those things. I mean, it, it quite literally means like being in your body something is embodied um I, I think of it from like a theological perspective of like god came to earth in the form of jesus yeah. and as a human it was an embodied experience right. um so so when i think of embodiment i don't know that it's necessarily possible to mm have a faith that is unembodied and of mm-hmm. course there's nuance there like mm-hmm. of course you can have an unembodied faith but like we we are people who have bodies and therefore those of us who are people of faith it is embodied in one way or another simply because we have bodies right, right? so mm-hmm. so so whether we're leaning into that or not is another question mm. um but but for me you know, as I've gone on this journey of, I, I grew up in a super conservative kind of evangelical mm. world and, and my faith was really heady, right? Mm. Like, like it was okay. a super intellectual kind of, if we believe these right things and if we follow these rules, then mm. we're going to be okay. 
Right, right. But it didn't deal with the body a whole lot. So on one hand, you could say it was kind of disembodied, even though it played out in my body. Um, and, and so so much of my faith journey has been learning how to actually pay attention to more than just my head, <laughs> more than right. just my mind, mm-hmm. and, and actually lean into an expression of faith and spirituality that takes all of me into account. Right. Um, because God gave us bodies for a reason. Mm-hmm. And if we just disregard those, then we're disregarding an entire form of wisdom that right. we have access to. Yeah. Right. I don't know if that answers the question. but Oh, totally. Um, and, and not to, you know, not to quickly um, dismiss all the work that you've done to even get to this point. <laughs> I'm, mm. I'm wondering how... How did you how did you break that down? How did you unlearn sort of this headiness and allow yourself to kind of sink into your body? Um, I'm wondering if your your education or your research within, you know, the the Seattle School of Psycho- the- Theology and Psychology helped you mm-hmm. kind of break this headiness <laughs> and kind of mm-hmm. sink into like the home that is your body if that makes sense. Yeah, it did very much so. I, I it really wasn't until I got to the Seattle School that I started really learning the importance of embodiment Mm. uh and and that came through a mix of some of the way the seattle school teaches psychology but also through my own therapy Mm. and and i mean it really looked like people asking me over and over and over again my my therapist and some of the professors at the school they would say like tune into your body right what are you aware of Mm-hmm. And, and like, that was like a novel concept to me at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. I mean, how do I do, how do I do that? Like, how right. do I, t- what do you mean tune into my body? Like, <laughs> right. And um, like Christian, and, Christianity tells us otherwise. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. That is like dangerous and sinful to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, they kept saying over and over and over again, like as a therapist, your best tool is your own body. Wow. Uh, and what is happening for you inside of your body. Wow. And so we have to, and this is how I was trained, you have to listen to your own body as you listen to a client or a patient. Um, and and mm-hmm. it, it's a really relational way of doing therapy, but it, but it starts with this idea that you cannot go with clients anywhere that you haven't gone yourself. Right. You have to go there yourself first. Right. And so... The program mm-hmm. was really focused on how do we actually do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a type eight, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> 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 um, like even even with my own counseling sessions, I remember she would um, she would just ask me, "Oh, so how is your body feeling in this moment?" Mm-hmm. And again, like I brought up that point, even just with ev- uh, evangelical culture, that is so foreign to me. I'm sorry, I can mm-hmm. tune into how my body can my body communicate to me. I've never thought of this before. <laughs> I thought it was evil, and to deny its desires because it's inherently evil. So why should I listen to my body? I shouldn't be listening to my body. I should only be listening to God. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> and that's like super layered. <laughs> I had to unpack mm-hmm. a lot of that, <laughs> but. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, so how how did you um connect um listening to your body, uh, Matthias, and um to your spirituality and faith in that sense? Yeah. So I I mean 
I think something clicked for me and, and I don't know that it was like this big moment of like, like it wasn't like an aha moment kind of clicking, but, mm. but something clicked as I started realizing. And I think I said like kind of what I said a few minutes ago, like God gave us bodies for a reason, mm. right? Like we're not just floating mm. heads mm. <laughs> floating mm. around in the world. Like we have bodies and, and so starting to challenge some of that, like what I was taught growing up right? and, and, and looking at like, well, what does it mean to have a body? And, and then what does it mean that our bodies give us sensations? And what does it mean that we have emotions and feelings? And, and what mm-hmm. can those tell us about who we are as people, but who other people are right. as well? Uh, and, and what does it mean to both listen into that, but also like really pay attention to where, like our bodies aren't like this end all be all source of truth, right? Mm, like mm. they're really good <laughs> and they give us a lot of really good information. We still have to use discernment with it. And and I don't mean that in this kind of evangelically way, um, mm. but the sense of how do we pay attention, but how do we also pay attention to our communities? Mm. How do we pay attention mm. to the people around us? How do we pay attention to the, to the spirit? Like, mm. All of that is in conversation. And and so realizing that it really did kind of transform the way I think about spirituality. Right, right. And, and Brene Brown defines spirituality as that which connects us. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. There's this definition of the mind that comes from the field of study called interpersonal neurobiology that defines the mind as an embodied, so our bodies, and relational process of other people that regulates the flow of energy and information. That's the definition of the mind. Wow. And and so our minds are not just our brains. They're our bodies, but it's also the Mm. other people we're around at the same time. Right. Because energy and information is exchanged. Yes. And so all of that is part of who we are as people and our spirituality. Um, I mean, it, it all mixes together. Yeah. I'm wondering if you've ever encountered sort of this experience of, you know, whether that be through your educational background or even through your own personal journey of having to really sink into vulnerability and not just an individualistic sort of vulnerability, but as you mentioned, you know, this, we are part of a community. We are part of a communal faith. It's not just an individualistic pursuit towards it um but i'm wondering just like um connecting all these different thoughts of embodiment and then learning ourselves in a way that's vulnerable in order for us to connect with others in a vulnerable and intimate way and that doesn't necessarily have to just be sexual or romantic it could also be platonic so i'm wondering has have you ever encountered any sort of any any of this in your own research or any of this in your own education and how did that contextual how was that contextualized even with your faith background of mm-hmm. having to break down that cerebral thinking if that makes sense i i think so I, and and i again i'm not quite sure that i can necessarily separate those things out mm. um especially as i went into my grad program in, in the way they teach things at the Seattle school is, is that those are kind of, I mean, they're, they're like fused together. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, and, and so like, like 
I mean, you're talking about vulnerability and my, my mind is going to like just living as a queer person in this world mm-hmm. is a vulnerable mm-hmm. place, right? Mm-hmm. Just living and, and we can, we can move that out into different parts of our own particularities. Um, for me, you know, being a queer person in, in a dominant culture, right. like it, it, it's vulnerable. It's not the most vulnerable, but it, it is there. Uh, and, and so I, I think there's a, the, 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 I think one of the questions that comes to my mind with that then is, are, are we going to be people who do our work, whether that be theological work, whether that be psychological work, whether that be, hmm. you know, working as a barista at the coffee shop, are we going to do that from a place of who we are, those vulnerable places, mm. like being fully who we are? Mm. Or are we going to try to step out and deny parts of ourselves in order to mm. fit in? Mm. Um, right. And of course, there are multiple answers to that because sometimes it's not safe. Mm-hmm. Right. So like there's a both mm-hmm. and there too. Right. Yeah. And, and whether we're, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on there, but like <laughs> acknowledging there's complexity even in that, but how, how do we live from that place of, of vulnerability? Um, it is a huge question to me. Even, even with my own personal journey, I had to work through recognizing that vulnerability wasn't actually a threat. <laughs> like, my, I had to really soothe my body because of, you know, especially being part of the queer community, as you said, we're not the dominant voice. <laughs> right. we're, um, we're the underdogs, really. <laughs> and it, it, to, to be part of spaces and to to open up this moment of vulnerability and sometimes in churches to have people shut that down is um trauma work that i had to work through (laughs) Mm. and and to just um remind my own body that it is it is safe to be me and it is Mm. god's gift to allow myself to be me if that makes sense it's a it's a gift to myself and it's a thank you to god for making me the way i am (laughs) right right truly Mm You know, I think there's this idea in a lot of evangelical theology that we're supposed to be entirely emptied of ourselves. Right, right. Before mm-hmm. we can be good Christians or whatever language you want to put on that. Right. Um, but it, I mean, I deeply believe that, like, w- when we look at scripture, we, we actually see that that Jesus came into the world to show us how to be more ourselves mm. right mm. Jesus Jesus came into this place to to fill us up in a way with more of ourselves i've come so that you may have life and have it more abundantly and and so what does mm. it actually look like to move from a place of instead mm. of emptying to being filled and then, and then working from that overflow, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I, I really think as queer people, we have really lovely opportunities to do that, mm-hmm. um, to actually live into who we were made to be and, and this abundant life. 
and and work from that place of abundance instead of this place of scarcity. Wow. Wow. That's so crazy. Yeah. Just because I've been looking into this whole like, you know, lack mindset versus abundant mindset recently. So mm-hmm. I'll just take this as a sign for Matthias. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> Sure. Those ideas are not original to me. There are many theologians doing that work, but (laughs) (laughs) just to caveat that. (laughs) Fair. Totally fair. (laughs) Um, So again, just tuning back into your own background, and I just want to quickly promo your book. I will do that Mm. for you on this podcast. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Um, Beyond Shame, Creating a Healthy Sex Life on Your Own Terms, which is super important. Sex is a beautiful thing. But um, what are some of the effects that you've seen with people believing, you know, what we mentioned earlier with the body is shameful, deny your desires, don't listen to the heart because it's deceitful above all things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is super damaging. It, it is. And, and <laughs> I, I think so many of us who were raised in that kind of world, we get stuck in places of shame mm. and, and, and don't really know how to find our ways out. Like, like shame is one of those things that we can get stuck in these kind of cycles of. Um, and and wow. it's really hard unless we have other voices, other people yes. coming in to kind of interrupt those things to actually get out. Right. <laughs> it, shame is a relational yeah. thing. Wow. Um, wow. And, and so this... I mean, this book was really my attempt to try to talk about how, how do we actually get out of that? And, mm-hmm. and the first kind of three chapters, I talk about the ways that many of us have tried to work with our shame. And, and uh, one is like shamefulness. And, and that's when specifically around sexuality, when, when we are stuck in our shame, when we're using our shame to control our sexuality, to control mm-hmm. our bodies right? Mm-hmm. So that's one way that we work with it is, is we let shame control things. Uh, that's why I think where a lot of us, especially in more evangelical circles, that's how we were raised. Um, yeah. Then, th- then there's a second one I call shamelessness, which is uh, oftentimes like a, a switch is kind of flipped and, and we are like, you know what? I'm so over this shame. Like I'm so done feeling the shame that we actually use our sexuality to control our shame. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the mm-hmm. flip side of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it can look like um, just kind of being like, fuck everything. I'm going <laughs> to go do what I want. Right. And, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Like we can Mm -hmm. be trying on new sexual values in this space. Uh, But, but the, the difficult part is, is we haven't actually worked with the shame that's underneath. Right. Right. We're we're fleeing Mm -hmm. away from the shame. It's still there. Right. (laughs) It's going to catch up with us sometime. Mm -hmm. Uh, So so that's the second way. And then the third way is, is autopilot. I call it autopilot, which is like, maybe we don't have as much shame to begin with. Um, and something will kind of happen and shame will pop up and we're like, oh yeah, I was going to deal with that, but we never actually get around to dealing with it because Mm -hmm. it's not super in your face. Right. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so I, I mean, I really think like those three places and we can move between those places pretty easily. Like it's not like a, you're in one place and not in any of the others. Like it can shift like that. Um, but, but when it comes to shame, I, I, 
it's really hard not to be in those places. Right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Especially when the dominant voice is telling you that this is sort of the, uh, the holy way. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're right. being a holy Christian if you acknowledge uh, the guilt and shame that's in your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you can't acknowledge anything else in your body. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else. That's, that's the cap. Yeah, um, to hop off of that um, shame that um, you were uh, talking about, Matthias, um, have you discovered any findings in your work or research uh, around religious trauma? Because um, mm-hmm. I think um, growing up, um, I'm a pastor's kid, and um, I grew up in that environment too where being queer is shameful, mm-hmm. full of shame. Right. And that's kind of traumatic. Mm-hmm. I mean... That's it. that's an understatement, but yeah. Um, right. so yeah, have you discovered any um, research around religious trauma, and um, what are, if so, what are things that are um, the church can um, take note of in order to be more um, inclusive in a sense? Sure. I I so like I mean the short answer is. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Like, Unfortunately. But, but the, the, <laughs> the, the long answer, longer answer is, I mean, th- this idea of religious trauma is a pretty new one. Right. Right. Yeah. Like there isn't mm-hmm. actually a whole lot of formal study done around religious trauma yet. Mm-hmm. There is some, mm-hmm. like it's coming out and more and more is being published every year, but it's only started popping up within the last few years that people are really starting to talk about this idea and and, and this new um, phrase called religious trauma syndrome, which right. is, um, it's not a formal diagnosis, but it's, it will most likely be in the next several years, I imagine. Uh, and And I mean, it's this idea that for people who grew up in deeply religious places, like we have trauma. It is traumatizing. (laughs) Right. And it is real trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, I mean, you ask this question of what churches can do. You know, I think we're still in a phase of trying to figure out like what actually happened. And of course Mm -hmm. I have ideas of like what could be different. Um, full affirmation of LGBTQ people mm-hmm. would be a really good place to start. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I, yeah. I think we're yeah. still like flashing out and really seeing like, yeah. wait a second, what went wrong? Um, hmm. Because it does seem to be, I, I mean, I don't know this for sure, but it does seem to be a newer phenomena mm-hmm. that people are coming out of faith communities right. deeply traumatized. Hmm. Um, maybe that has been happening throughout history. I'm I'm not sure, yeah. but it, it does seem like we're we're reaching some kind of like critical mass of traumatized mm. people from churches, mm. <laughs> uh, and and something something needs to be done. Um, just to hop off of that idea really quick as well, um, and and I mean I guess you could answer this theologically, I suppose, but. Yeah, just this whole exodus, (laughs) I suppose, just moving out of these spaces that cause visceral reactions in our bodies sometimes um, to to spaces where there's a lot less structure. And for some that are part of the queer community, that can be very terrifying if we grew up with structure and rigidity to help us establish, okay, this is the black, this is the white, 
in the world and then we're gonna try and live according to that and then you find out that there's so much gray um but i'm wondering what does the word wilderness mean to you and and how does that play out even in your own personal journey for the listeners that are trying to get to know you yeah so you know that word wilderness is is i mean it's tossed around a whole lot um and and I and I and I I think I understand when when people are talking about wilderness, I mean it, it's that experience of feeling kind of out in the middle of nowhere with no support, mm. um, no. Look, your community is gone. You're lost. Um, and and I I think that's that's what people mean when they're kind of talking about it. I I personally don't really relate to that word a mm. whole lot and and i think this like and i don't know why like <laughs> I, I i look back and i'm like why why don't i relate to that mm-hmm. but but I, I think for me my and this is solely from my own experience and my own faith journey for some reason i have always had this deep sense that god is with me mm. Mm. um I don't know where that came from. I, I hear so many stories of people who are like, I've never had that experience <laughs> that I'm like this. It feels like I'm like baffled by it, but mm. I can only speak from my own experience. So mm. I, I don't know that I ever went through this kind of wilderness phase. Um, yeah. and, and I've certainly been through a deconstruction phase and mm. I've certainly been through a phase where I'm like, what in the world is going on? What do I believe? Like all of those things for sure. But it has, it has never quite felt like a wilderness because I, I have deeply felt like God is with me wow. in the midst of it. Mm. Yeah. God is so with I don't, me even in my sexuality. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very much so. Beautiful. Yeah. So I'm sorry, like, I'm sorry, I don't have a good answer. For that. <laughs> no, that's your answer. That's a good answer because it's your answer. We're good with that. We take that. <laughs> that's beautiful. And I think just, I think that that's, um, you know, just with the prevalence on social media and uh, being being one of the platforms that the queer community uses to connect with one another globally. Um, mm-hmm. It's crazy. Um, mm-hmm. But that's such a profound realization i suppose especially for those that are trying to bridge these sub- two supposed ex- um exclusive extremes <laughs> from right. one another uh, mm-hmm. the, the faith that i'm a part of wh- whatever that religious background might be not exclusively speaking to evangelical culture or evangelicalism and then our sexuality i think that's beautiful the divine mm-hmm. can meet me here in the middle yeah mm-hmm. and and is in the middle yeah. like it, it, like mm-hmm. I think my experience has been one of like, and again, and this may be unique to me because I know this is not other people's experiences. Mm. Um, And I work with a lot of people where this is not their experience. So, Mm. um, but, but I have found like, no matter, oh, you might be able to hear my dog in the background. All good. (laughs) Can can you hear that? (laughs) You're good. You're good. We're we're all pet, pet parents here. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Um, my experience has been like wherever I go, like I find God there. <laughs> Beautiful. And I, I, yeah. Yeah. So God is beyond the walls just as much as 
they're yeah. in within the walls, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, how do you? I I mean I'm pretty idealistic uh, or optimistic, I suppose. But with your background, even in in psychotherapy, how do you see the church? And I'm referring to sort of the evangelical, the Western evangelical church, I guess, because that's, again, speaking from personal experience. But how do you see the church incorporating a more, I guess, trauma-informed approach to spiritual care? Because I do believe that all these areas of our life are connected. (laughs) We can't just (laughs) live out of one sphere and disregard the others. You know, I, I think many places in the church could start by just even learning what trauma is. Mm. <laughs> and, mm. and, and I mean, I, I, there, trauma fragments. Mm. That, that is like the, mm-hmm. like one of the simplest definitions of trauma that is out there. But, but, but trauma fragments. And, and, and this idea, I think, within evangelicalism that once we accept Jesus into our hearts that all of a sudden we become whole magically (laughs) um (laughs) like I mean maybe there's something that happens from a spiritual end right but it doesn't mean that from a physical world that we magically become whole fully healed people and and I think we need to acknowledge and, and work within our church communities to realize that just because like something has happened in the spiritual realm and whatever you believe about that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that healing still is happening and can happen in the physical realm. Mm-hmm. And and so I think we need to have these conversations of reckoning with there is still hard stuff in the world mm. and mm. and we need to name that as true and actually work with those things mm. instead of kind of pretending that they're not there because Jesus healed us mm. like it's not true how does that affect someone if they were to continue this narrative of pretending <laughs> yeah i mean it can look a variety of different ways i mean it can it some people can can just do that for their whole lives and mm. in some ways be fine right mm. like but but mm. w- when we have deep trauma in our lives when, when we have experienced what, what i would call like capital t trauma mm. so like truly mm, i don't want to say truly because we've all had traumatic experiences but like really harsh traumatic experiences mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um if we ignore that it, it's going to come out sideways that that's the nature of trauma. Mm, mm, it it mm. doesn't just disappear because we're pretending it's not there. And and so I mean, unfortunately. I right, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried. I've really tried. Uh-huh. 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 I, I think that's what we see playing out in our churches all mm. over the place. Um, mm. especially with men and male pastors. Like this Ooh. world of unacknowledged like trauma. Yeah. Men are taught in much of western society to not acknowledge hard you know emotions and (laughs) those things like Mm -hmm. we're just going to man up and move on well there are a lot of issues coming out because of that right now Mm. i guess to to wrap it all together matthias if if we can because this has been such a a full conversation i feel full if that makes sense Mm -hmm. (laughs) um Mm -hmm. but what 
whether that be you speaking from your personal experience or your background or your education or even your own upbringing in the church, but what's what's one message that you have to teens and adults that, as you said, this is this is your mantra, this is your message, but how how can what what do you want to say to them to for us to be able to live confidently and fulfilled lives? Mm. What's your message? So this is this is where I get to play the game of like a therapist, not that it's a game. Ooh. But I don't know that there <laughs> is a message, right? Mm. Like I don't I wish there were these magical words that I could give you that would say, here's how you live confidently. Mm. Um in order for us to live confidently, we have to work with those parts of ourselves mm. that aren't confident. And mm. we have to work with those things that happened in our lives that hurt mm. or that broke us. Um, and, and so I don't know that I, I don't have a like mantra other than maybe you're loved. Mm. Um, I, I think that's mm. a huge one is learning how to lean into being loved. Mm. Um, but that, that doesn't erase the fact mm. that we that we have to work with those parts of ourselves that are hurt, mm. that are insecure, that are broken because of horrible things that happen to us in our lives. Mm. Um, I mean, that's the path. It's the path of a lifetime. Mm. Right. And even if we just like tune into the Bible and understand that there is sort of this underlying theology of, of suffering and death and rebirth out of that place of that lowly place i suppose in order to become this new being i mean jesus embodied that himself going back to Mm -hmm. embodiment and the incarnation he showed it to us if anything that that's what he exemplified to us that after death there is still life Mm -hmm. and not just whether we exclusively believe in heaven or hell but um beyond these these sort of ethereal extremes that can happen right now (laughs) this cycle of death and life and then death again a death of the self and then life and us going through these cycles of unlearning these these hurts because hurts will will come in life (laughs) Mm -hmm. but i think you're what you're saying is approaching these things with a sense of resiliency Mm-hmm. I think that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can't just slap that band-aid of toxic positivity or spiritual bypassing on there, unfortunately. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that would be nice. That would be easy. <laughs> but there is no easy way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially when it comes to us working internally. So again, um, Matthias, I just want to say thank you for joining us today. I know you're super busy, super successful with all that you do. And again, I just want to pray a blessing upon you. Not explicitly, but in my spirit, I do pray a blessing upon all the work that you're doing because it's truly changing lives. And I know it changed mine. So I just want to say thank you from from me personally. <laughs> thank you. I mean, thank you so much. That just I mean, that means the world. So very grateful to join you. Thank you for all the work that you're doing. And to the listeners, um, thank you for joining us. We hope that this conversation has encouraged you, has allowed you to recognize that there are spaces that will affirm you wholly and fully as you are. Um, And this is just a reminder that 
heads up, the work is going to be super hard. <laughs> As Matthias said, we can't just push through it, unfortunately. But there are people that are here rooting for you. So again, thank you so much for listening. And we hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Um, tune in next time for the next one. <laughs>